1: to interact with Free Birth Society. These include our incredible offering, The Complete Guide to Free Birth, which is the most comprehensive online course available on how to give birth in your power. We also have a beautiful free birth meditation program called the Sovereign Birth Meditation Series, designed to help you release your fears and actualize your dream birth. Our latest course is called Through the Veil, a profoundly personal, radical pregnancy companion program by Yolanda Norris Clark that offers the opportunity to travel with Yolanda as she moves through the last trimester of her most recent pregnancy and invites you into her birth room to witness the birth of her eighth child. And if you're looking for a deeper connection and the opportunity for sisterhood in community with radical, like-minded women, the Free Birth Society private membership is for you, and you can apply on our website to become a member. We also offer personalized one-on-one transformational coaching with a focus on learning the tools to move out of victim consciousness and towards self-responsibility skills that translate to freedom, not only in the context of birth and mothering, but in every area of life. And finally, we are offering all of you, our amazing listeners, the free gift of Yolanda's 20-minute birth affirmations audio recording, a gorgeous, soothing meditation that every pregnant mother should have. So just head on over to our website at freebirthsociety.com, sign up, and Yolanda's affirmations will be sent directly to your inbox. with a deep pain for the childless mother, Brianna couldn't shake the desire to give a woman in need a child. After birthing her own two children, she sought out a surrogacy agency in hopes of both finding the right woman to give of herself to, and also a secret hope of healing her own birth trauma that she had endured with her first two children. As is so common with surrogate mothers, Brianna tells us of her deep regret. She shares the story of her sheer and total devastation as she realized halfway through her pregnancy that this was indeed her child and yet held no legal claims to keep him. She tells the heartbreaking story of manufacturing trauma for both herself and her son and why she is now adamantly opposed to the renting of female bodies and the selling of children. Okay, so this is our surrogacy series that we're doing with season three. I'm really excited to have you on today and to hear hear your story um, for many reasons, but as, as we'll get into, uh, you have journeyed as a surrogate and and now have uh, changed how you feel about it. So I think your voice is crucial, crucial in this conversation. Uh, a critique that Yolanda and I get a lot um, when we speak out against surrogacy is, oh, easy for you fertile breeders to say. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's a, a pretty stupid way of trying to silence us. Um, but I think it's it's potent that your story um, is a personal one, you know, and that, that you actually walked this and, and have felt, um, you know, the, the pains of it. So we'll, we'll obviously Mm -hmm. be getting into that um, and that you're also a birth worker. So I guess before we go too far into it, why don't you just kind of give us a quick, um, a quick intro of, of, you know, who you are and a little bit about your, your mothering journey and and your birth work and how that all kind of goes together.
0: Um so I my name's Brianna and I'm a birth worker here in San Diego, California. And um I will actually take it way back to uh my own conception. Um m- my little story of coming to be is that my mom found out that she was pregnant and right away found out that it was an ectopic pregnancy and went in for the termination and they said, Oh, whoops, nope, babe's in the uterus, and you're good to go. See you later. Whoa. And so in her own mothering journey, she sort of started that out with a lot of um stressful emotions surrounding my conception um and twists and turns. Oh my gosh. Um Fast forward to my birth, and I had a spontaneous labor. That when my mom, um, who was actually a labor and delivery nurse, um, when she showed up to the hospital, they discovered that I was in the breech position and rushed her off for an emergency cesarean, or Aww. so she says. Um, and so I actually like to reflect on on both of those, you know, both my early conception and my birth in that my sort of energetic pattern tends to be pretty high adrenaline and pretty Mm. back and forth and twists and turns. And, um, in my opinion, seeking trauma. Mm. Um, and so compared to surrogacy, um, you know, that's become sort of an awareness that I've had of who I am and what I seek from the world, um, or what the world sort of returns to me. Right. Um, and so I remember as a teenager, um, I grew up very heavy in the church, in the Christian church. Um, my mom, like I said, uh, was a nurse. And I remember hearing her say many, many times about young nurses, that they were so disrespectful to the doctors and how dare they question the doctor and that they were the ones who had gone to medical school and that she was an Old school nurse who had the utmost respect for their, um, you know, their their job and their training, and so not only did the church sort of you know breed me to be a, a follower and a listener um, and so called a respecter of the rules mm. and the boundaries, but you know even in the medical field, I was bred to just really be completely submissive to what I was told to do um, with doctors and. So, you know, I was a teenager and I remember hearing about surrogacy and thinking, wow, that's incredible. What a cool thing. And I always wanted to be a mother and I was obsessed with mothering and obsessed with birthing. It was the coolest, best thing in all of the world that I could even ever imagine. There was nothing that was going to be greater than birthing and mothering. And I'm right um and so i think that's what connected me to surrogacy was that it was this expansion of g- allowing someone else to experience it that couldn't otherwise mm. and so as a teenager i remember it getting on my radar and right away thinking if there's someone in the world that their uterus isn't working i would love the opportunity to gift them right and after i had my first son I was holding him in those wee hours of the night and nursing him, and I had such a heavy connection to the motherless, to the childless mother, and feeling like I had hit the jackpot, that I had an easy pregnancy, I had a perfect baby, you know, everything was so easy for me, and again, just had this sort of pain for the childless mother, that she wanted exactly what I had, but couldn't have it. So again, surrogacy kind of popped on my heart or my mind. Um, and then I had my second child and the same exact feeling. It was like a whisper in my ear. And it wasn't really of any outside influence. I didn't know anyone that was a surrogate. I hadn't heard any stories. I had no clue of what the industry involved or anything about it. I just always felt a pull to it. Um, and so... We, me and my husband decided that we were likely not going to have any more children. I was young and healthy and figured, okay, like, let me explore this. And right around that time, I started birth work. And as a birth and a postpartum doula, and I was taking all sorts of trainings and meeting all sorts of doulas and birth workers and midwives. And I think those of us that are attracted to birth um, surrogacy can sometimes be an expansion of that. You know, we, we love to birth and we love to grow babies. And, um, because of our cultural acceptance of surrogacy, which is not true for everyone in our culture. A lot of people are also really, um, unaccepting of it. Um, I was now surrounded by several surrogates all of a sudden, and their stories were fairly magical or, you know, sort of sugarcoated about how beautiful it was. And I was connected with uh, a local owner of a surrogacy agency, and I talked to my husband and said, you know, this is something that I've always wanted to do. I feel like it's the right time. And he was pretty adamant against it um, simply because his intuition felt that it would be trauma and didn't really, I don't think, have a clue even what he was talking about other than his intuition said no. And I stood my ground and I insisted and I said, well, I really want to do this and I need your support. And he said, okay, I trust you and let's do it.
1: If you could, first of all, how many years ago was this?
0: Um, it's three years in September.
1: So, if you could identify your main motivation, what was it?
0: Um, I think my main motivation was to share the experience of mothering. I really feel that when I held my babies in my arms, it was such magic that I felt a compassion for people that couldn't do that, and felt like, but I can do that for them, and had, and and so that that just was as simple as making soup for my neighbor who's sick. It was really just a caretaking. Oh, you're not able to do it; I can do it for you. Um, yeah, hero. Yeah, I mean, but also, you know, hero, yes, I guess within my own, but also very private about it. I had serious secrecy surrounding all of it and didn't feel comfortable with any sort of praise or acknowledgement or awareness about it. If I could have like done the entire thing in a closet and then walked away without ever speaking a word, that was sort of my goal. Um And as we get further in the story, I'll sort of even explain how that sort of was drama too.
1: Um, So did you, so then, so you decide to do it and do you get to be a part of selecting the parents?
0: Yes. So right now, California is kind of a surrogacy mecca. Um, Aside from international surrogacy, California is the most up and up with, you know, fertility clinics and attorneys and the way that the laws in this state um, support surrogacy are very different. In a lot of other states, it's still illegal and um, they don't have the fertility uh, technology the way that a lot of California clinics do. And so I just happened to be here and I happened to connect with the local agency. And the way that it worked was I had sort of like a um, liaison that would email me profiles of families. You go through the whole process of medical screening to make sure that you're fit for pregnancy. Um, psychological screening which includes talking about attachment to the baby and what do you what how do you feel about you know giving a baby from your body to another person and I just repeated the narrative that had been told to me that it's not my baby it's their baby and I'm happy to give them their baby and I really felt that was true and so once I got through my own screening, then at that point you start being given profiles of, of families who are looking for surrogates, and I was very clear that I did not want an international family, um, which is most typical for surrogacy. Very rarely are they you know in the same country, and very rarely are they local to you. Um, but I wanted a connection with that family um, and to be able to keep in
1: touch. and you specifically wanted to give uh, your baby to a f- infertile woman. It sounds like.
0: Yes. That was actually also part of it. I didn't at all want it to be, um, gay a men, sex couple yeah. or, well, well, it could, it could have, have, have been, been two, two women. women. Yeah. I did not want two men because like I said, I was so deeply connected right. to the childless mother. Exactly. And there didn't necessarily have to be a partner in the picture, but I would have preferred it. Um, I also would have preferred, um, A father in the picture. It just was something that I personally connected with, and when I expressed my clarify, you know, clarified to the agency what I was looking for, they were kind of taken aback. Like, how dare you, you know, (laughs) specify how you would like your journey to go? Wow! So the red flag number one, (laughs) yeah, for real. I mean, red flags left and right. Yeah. So my for the first profile that they sent me was a couple in China. Which right away i didn't even open the, the the profile I just said no i'm I'm looking for a local couple, and they said, Well, this is going to be really hard to find and i said that 's okay. this is not something I have to do right this if it never happens, I will sleep soundly at night. This is just something that i'm exploring because I feel pulled to it, but it's got to be right
1: and, and you were um, doing and you weren't just doing it for some extra money you and you weren't you know you weren't um what's the right word hunted like some women are no, you know you, no, it was you totally... really had this call to fill this wound to heal this wound in some woman out there
0: yes and i didn't even know that there was compensation when i first explored it i sort of thought that like the the cost of the clinic stuff would be covered i didn't realize that you would be paid to carry the baby it was you know, purely, um, I really felt like I was just going to help someone have a mm-hmm. baby. Didn't even really look into the physical risks for my body and mm-hmm. my, you know, my my brain of how that would affect me. Um, just really very naive about the whole process, super ignorant. And so then the second family that they sent me was a couple in Mexico, and it was a husband and wife that had two children and then no longer could conceive, and I. Said to the agency, I'm not interested in helping a family that has children. Right. This is a connection to the childless mother, and um, at that point, they got kind of tough with me and and kind of bullied me. You know, they were really sort of pushing and and saying, you know, we're here presenting you with profiles. Like, what's wrong with you? Like, why would you not want to? And I just repeated again, you know, that that it's got to be right, and this is what I'm looking for. Um. About a week later, they sent me a profile and they said, you're not going to believe it. This is the one. It's a single woman who also lives in San Diego. Um, She, in the past, was able to conceive but had many losses along the way. I think she had four or five losses between six and 12 weeks. Um, A couple of times she spontaneously conceived. A couple of times she did IVF um, and always had a loss. Um She also had a history of an organ transplant, and that was the assumed reason um, for her inability to carry that her body and immune system just couldn't hang for the long term um, and I read her profile and it was beautiful, and she was the childless mother that I absolutely connected with and felt like this is it, and she was local, so I moved forward with the agency and said i'd like to meet her. And she also selected me. And so we met at a coffee shop with the liaison from the agency. Wow. Um, we were given like a list of questions to possibly talk about and a list of questions to not talk about, which was mostly financial. Okay. Um, they did not want you discussing uh, terms of the contract or any sort of compensation, Um and really it was just a light kind of see if we connected. Mm -hmm. Um, so we did, we kind of vibed and, and things went well. And it was like that awkward first date where you don't exactly know what to say. And, um, but she was the person that my soul felt like, yep, this, this is it, you know? Um, and so from that point on, she had a couple of donated embryos uh that we were going to transfer and so there were two so so wait
1: sorry that they weren't her eggs yes right so
0: for whatever reason with her own health history she had attempted egg retrieval in the past um to do her own IVF um with her own body where she took her eggs and donor sperm created embryos and d- implanted but um or transferred but th- the pregnancies weren't successful and or they she did get pregnant but so they these, just didn't
1: continue. These are farmed eggs. Yep. And so after- donor egg sounds like you know donor egg makes it sound um like some women just donated their eggs.
0: Yeah, this is you know purchased, sold.
1: DNA yeah, purchased DNA,
0: and yeah. you and just like you find a surrogate or you find an intended parent, you just flip through a catalog and you just look at their baby pictures and you look at where they went to college and you look at what they did for you except know their life. In, and-
1: except in donor egg land, in in farmed eggs, it's the tall, thin, white, blue eyed, uh, highest education. Yep, barf.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's it's just yes, it's just a catalog shopping for whatever DNA you prefer, and um, so this time around, so after her doing her own uh, egg retrieval with her own the eggs, um, and and that being unsuccessful within her body, they just felt like it, it really is, pro- it's just not a good idea for you to use your eggs, so.
1: Why wouldn't she she adopt? Oh my God. Okay. So so we'll touch on that too.
0: So she actually did attempt to adopt and there were three separate, after she did her own kind of IVF and all of that, the next step was adoption for her. And after three times of, you know, being told that, she was cleared to adopt a baby. Um, the family of that baby or the mother changed their mind and took the baby. And so, three separate times, or kept the baby. So, three separate times, she had set up a nursery and got herself ready, and the baby was born. And they were coming tomorrow. And and that whole high of the yes, it's come, it's happening, and Whoa. then squashed of well, never mind. And so, you know, she had already been through quite the up and down within her own fertility um, and then quite the up and down with adoption. And at that point she thought I'm taking control and I'm hiring a body and I'm buying eggs or embryos or sperm or however we have to do this. And we're going to make it happen on my terms, end of story. And so that's, you know, that's, she explored a few different ways and that brought her to surrogacy. Um, So, she was on some sort of an online forum for a, uh, embryo donation. So for couples who have already finished making their families, if they have any leftover embryos, they go on these, you know, online groups and talk about um, either donating or whatever compensation or whatever they do to connect with Whoa. these frozen embryos that are like, you know, in another state or another country, or, and then they just get shipped like in these cryo tanks. And it's this whole, you know, like um journey for these little souls that are just you know they're they already are here and then they're just frozen waiting for someone to destroy them or to use them or so wow she was given two embryos um from a couple on this online forum and one of the eggs did not make the thawing process and the other egg was transferred into my body. And I did not get pregnant. So now we're out of embryos. And so her next step was, okay, I'm going to purchase eggs. I'm going to purchase sperm. We're going to create embryos. And that's what we did. So then she went through the process of selection um, for the donors. Uh, The fertility clinic created the embryos. I think there was- Designer humans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think there was six or seven embryos that they would consider viable. So I think ultimately we had like 10 or 11. Um, and then they go through a process of testing the embryos for DNA, um, any DNA issues, or you know, sometimes they just can, they can tell that they're just not going to do well. So we ended up with six or seven viable embryos. We got to the fertility clinic that day to transfer one in. And the embryologist came out and she said, "You know, I know that our plan was to transfer one embryo and that we just want a singleton pregnancy, um, but none of the six or seven or whatever it was. none of them really are of top quality. They're all kind of mediocre. Um, my recommendation is to transfer two and hope that one takes." Oh my
1: God. And- are you going to tell me you had twins? <laughs> Mabes. <laughs> um, shit. So we, I really in that moment
0: was lost. I yeah. felt confused. I felt on the spot. My legs were literally already up in stirrups. <gasps> I was on like, you know, Verset or Valium or something. <gasps> um, what? Yes. And that's when she came in and said that. And I just looked at the, you know, the intended mother, as they call her. And I said, what do you want to do? You have to take home two babies. And she says, you know that I like would take as many babies as you are comfortable with, but I, I, it's your body and whatever you feel comfortable with. And then I think my ego rolled up and was like, yeah, you could totally badass a twin pregnancy. Let's fucking do it. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's do it. And so we transferred.
1: Wait, question. Yep. So you already have like a contract written out and stuff before your legs are in the stirrups, right? Like I'm sure singleton versus multi-embryo implantation had at least gotten broached, right? So
0: yes, actually, you know what? I should back up a little bit because once her and I chose each other through the agency, I started asking questions about the birth. And what my options were there and what insurance coverage and so forth. And of course, I wanted a home birth. And so did the mother. We, she was also really um, attracted to birth and the magic of just the normalcy of a, a, a birth, a vaginal birth, a home birth. Um, she did not want a medical experience also. And so that was exciting because that's very rare in surrogacy. They typically schedule cesareans Mm -hmm. um, and get very nervous over a vaginal birth. Mm -hmm. Um, Once I started asking questions... Um, the agency got real hot with me, and they actually fired me. So the agency said, you're too rogue, you're too off the beaten path, we are not going to use you as a surrogate. Our surrogates have hospital births, they expect to have cesarean births or inductions and time it on our preferred timing, and they fired me. So the intended mother, at that point, said, fuck you to the agency, I'm following Brianna, because she's the person that I want to do this with. And so we went independent is what you call it. And so we no longer had the agency guiding us, um, and all of their sort of contractual advice and all those kind of things. Um, But we did hire attorneys who are, you know, specialized in surrogacy. And so um, we did break down a whole contract. And it's very specific as far as compensation, um, depending on how many babies you're carrying.
1: Oh, um, you make it, more money with twins. You
0: make more money per baby. You, um, make more money if you have a cesarean. Ew. You, mm-hmm. um, you also, there's like a daily compensation if you are on bed rest. So right. it's like an addition. It's, it's a lot, there's like a base fee and then there's many, many, many things built into how you would increase your package. And, that was also a struggle because I had two children and I thought, well, at the very least, if I'm on bed rest, all of those finances need to be taken care of as far as childcare and whatever my family needed during the time when I wouldn't be able to take, I was home with my kids. I wasn't, you know, they were not in preschool. So that was a large expense. And the attorneys were kind of fighting back with us saying, well, typically there's, you know, an X amount of dollars per day that we do. And I said, well, but I need my expenses covered. I don't care what the typical is. This is my story. And this is my family. This is what we need to cover my children if I'm on bed rest. So that was kind of a back and forth. But the intended mother was really supportive of that. Like, obviously, her family needs to be compensated for childcare. So she was agreeable to pretty much everything that I was requesting as far as, um, you know, bed rest compensation. There's also a budget for, um, multivitamins or nutrition, you know, any sort of, if you requested organic food, um, the intended parents can also request that you eat or don't eat certain things and they'll put that in the contract. So, They might say no soft cheeses or no fish or no alcohol
1: or. What about sex? I've heard um, that some contracts say no sex.
0: So I've not seen that in California and not that I know of in any of the surrogates that I've seen. If you had some sort of a complication that they ask you to go on pelvic rest or bed rest, Um, then they do actually address that in the contract, that if your care provider recommends pelvic rest, meaning no sex, um, and should you be found out to have had sex, then you could be in breach of your contract. But I've not yet seen in California where that's a standard for the pregnancy, but I have for sure seen that in lots of international surrogacy situations. I, I think for the most part, um, most international surrogacies you actually you leave your family for the mm-hmm. entire pregnancy you sort of stay in a surrogate home um,
1: centers yeah there it's like factory farming there's yeah. ones like all, all over southeast asia and right. in pakistan and right. india and all these places that are these like freaking handmaid's tale places that are totally really, and highly dangerous. abusive and yes. low mal-
0: like malnutrition and i mean it's it really is you know, and here I am feeling slick about my posh little California surrogacy, right meanwhile, you know my body's interpreting it all the same, and
1: so right. and my brain and that that's such a good point and and that's one of the interesting pieces of pushback that we've gotten since we've started uh you know being more aggressive about speaking out about this is um. Kind of going back to your original motivation—that it's a gift to give to a family, and that you know it's it's part of pro-choice because women uh, can you know should and can choose what they want to do and all this stuff—and it's like. Anyone saying that has no fucking clue about international surrogacy, Mm -hmm. where they are taking the poorest of the poor and factory farming them away from their families and treating them like shit. It's like dairy cows. It is not... It, it, and not, I mean, not to say that your situation was great or anything, but, it, but it, it's not like staying with your family and, you know, getting all yeah. these requests in your contract and it's you know, just a
0: different degree of trauma. Yeah. So, you know, you like mine was what better trauma. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. <laughs> totally. And, 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 you know, we'll get to, it to the baby's experience too, but of course the baby is just, you oh, know, God. hurt either way. And okay, so,
1: so you were, were stirrups embryo double
0: on Versed or Valium or whatever I was on and just looked at the intended parent mother. And I said, you know, what do you want to do? And she was agreeable to two. And I was like, okay, let's do two. And really just so ignorant and naive and just like, Hey, let's do it. So we transferred the two. And then there's like a waiting period where I was kind of like on the sneak doing pregnancy testing at home to see what was going on. And days and days and days went by of negative pregnancy tests. Um, And then the next, say it was like eight days after transferring. And I was going to go into the clinic on the ninth day for some blood testing. And that night I got a positive test. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm pregnant. And you know I was excited and I was nervous and I was very happy for the intended mother I thought like okay like here we go like she's gonna become a mother and that was just so uh, exciting for me for her and the next day I went into the clinic I had a blood test and they contacted her first so this is kind of funny because it's like my body right but it's like her baby but it's we're dealing with like informed consent and HIPAA and like who do you give the information to, and so it was kind of this wonky but she like she
1: like owns you, yeah,
0: yeah. She for owns a she, of you you know she she was we were in this contractual relationship right. where you know the d her it's her DNA inside of my body and but it's really, not. You know,
1: It's It's not not right. It's not even her (laughs) at all. It was her purchase. She's like the Oz behind the curtain. She's just the fucking orchestrating. Totally. Just the purchaser. She's
0: the finance, right. She's the finance behind the, you know, the orchestrating. And so the clinic called her and basically said, you know, listen, um, Brianna's pregnant, but her HCG numbers are very low and we don't feel that this is going to be a viable pregnancy. So let's just kind of see what happens. It could be a chemical pregnancy. Let's just see how it goes. So she called me and told me that, "Yep, yeah, you're pregnant. And I already knew because I had taken the test and I, you know, I congratulated her and um, she congratulated me. And it was like this so surreal, like weird and whew, but it's like we're just playing this script of like surrogate and intended parent and saying the things that you say when you're surrogate and an intended parent so
1: but all the while you are authentically feeling happy for her yeah i was thrilled for her
0: i yeah. knew that
1: she really
0: um her be- her personality of what i knew um seemed like a mother you know i felt really happy for her to hold her baby and so you know then they do another blood test a few days later and the hCG was rising so we thought cool like i'm yeah, i'm definitely pregnant so i don't remember how much time passed before we went in for our first ultrasound but it was very early on you know maybe 5 weeks or so and at the time what we saw was two sacs and one baby and so the assumption was that the second sac just didn't develop and it would just you know go away. And so okay, we've got a singleton pregnancy. And at that time, there was a local midwifery group that was offering like a super affordable home birth cost. You know, they were advertising um, like half price of what it costs typically to have a home birth. And so we contacted them to establish care and uh we were all excited about that you know we were going to have a home birth and she was going to be there and we were
1: going to have you know had you had home births with your first two no okay so this is so... also going to be this is also exciting for you as a woman and a birthing woman to get this chance at a non-medicalized birth Right. And that,
0: that likely was also a big motivator for me to do surrogacy was to have another birth Mm -hmm. and right my wrongs. Mm -hmm. Um, my first birth, my first son, I had a spontaneous labor, um, that just due to cascade of interventions resulted in a cesarean and a highly emergent cesarean that was mega scary and drama, drama. And I left that feeling so turned around and like, you know, just so confused. Like, I don't understand what happened. I had no fear of the process. I just had pure ignorance Mm. and I had worked in labor and delivery as a birth assistant. And I had, you know, I wanted to be in the birth world. I just hadn't found doula work. I hadn't found anyone in my whole life that had any sense of normal birth culture. Um, side note, I'm also from New Jersey, which has a really rough birth culture, um, as does the whole entire country slash world, but coming from sort of that very traditionalist fall in line culture for everything, um normal birth was something I had not ever even heard about or experienced so uh and then my second child was a vaginal birth, uh, but I call that my janky v back because I did birth with an o b g y n at a hospital. And he put all sorts of limitations on how and why and the what's of how I was going to birth my baby. So it was a required spontaneous labor by 39 weeks. Um, If not, we would induce at 39 weeks. If the induction didn't produce the baby by 12 hours, I I would have gone back for a repeat C-section. And he also required an epidural. And I literally went to Trader Joe's and got him chocolate and said, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for giving me the chance and had no concept of how insane all of that was. (sighs) Lucky for me, my baby came at 38 and five on a spontaneous, very quick labor. And I walked into the hospital saying, my doctor said I need an epidural. And I didn't want an epidural. I just thought I had to just totally. And this goes back into my mom, right? say hearing those words of how dare they disrespect the doctor and their expertise. I really was just being a good girl. And so, you know, we move forward into surrogacy and there's one baby and we start planning a home birth and I'm so excited just to have an unmedicated birth. And um, so was the intended mother. And we go in for a checkup say a week later after that first ultrasound and surprise, there is a second baby. There are twins. That one was just hiding or whatever. So that was both exciting, you know, that she was now going to have two babies um, and sad because in the state of California, midwives can't attend twin births. Um, their licensing doesn't allow it anyhow. and it being surrogacy and me being a newer birth worker. I remember saying out loud, if these were my own babies, I would have them at home alone, but they're her babies. So this is different. And a a birth worker in my community had recently had an unassisted twin home birth planned. You know, she planned a free birth of her twins. So that was inspirational for me. And that was kind of the first person that I knew. Um, At that point, I was still motivated for a vaginal birth, as was the intended mother. Um, And so all we needed to do was find the right care provider, right? Mm -hmm. That was gonna support a vaginal birth of twins. And in my community, there's about three or four that um, are tried and true um, OBGYNs that are supportive of vaginal birth for multiples. In fact, um, but it's like what you
1: said, it's like your janky V back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still janky. janky. It's, it's <laughs> still going to have a <laughs> fuck ton of limitations. It's
0: still going to, right. It's still going to be janky. Um, but it's not a major surgery, you know? And so it, it's like, so funny how you rationalize like, well, it's better trauma, right? It's better trauma. Mm-hmm. So as if there's such a thing. So, um, <sighs> I did find a care provider who is just super old and he's, um, right in that pocket of super old where it was prior to heavy intervention because some of the older guys are really pro intervention Mm -hmm. because it was new and shiny when they came around. Um, so I started with him. Um, and then I went in for our last visit with the fertility clinic at about 10 weeks Before they were gonna release me just to standard care. Um, And I got into the office and I said, You know, the intended mother's running a few minutes behind. Um, Can we wait for her? And the fertility doctor was so nasty and she said, No, I have a clinic to run. You know, we need to just get started and make sure that these babies are fine so I can release you and you guys will have plenty of other visits together and let's just get started. And I was so caught off guard, I totally froze and I just said, Okay. Just, again, just total good girl. And put my feet up in the stirrups. We did an intravaginal ultrasound. Mm. And I said out loud, why do I see a third heartbeat? And the fertility doctor said, oh, fuck. And I said, why are you saying, oh, fuck? I should be saying, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. And there they were, clear as day, one, two, and three little flickers of, of little gummy bear babies. Oh, my God. So the intended mother, well, I finished. we finished the ultrasound. I just sat there in silence, like staring at the wall. Oh. Um, the intended mother showed up, walked in, and the ultrasound was done. And I looked at her, and I said, there's three babies. And she just went white as a ghost, you know, looked like she was going to throw up. I felt like I was going to throw up. You know, we really just didn't know what to think. Um, And then I looked at the fertility doctor and I said, let's scan again so she can see them. And they declined us. They said, no. She said, I have other patients to see. And that was so sad to me because that's such a big deal to be told that you're having three babies and that you can't even just see that, you know, or or, like, I mean, who did she think she was? And this woman is paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for this experience and they couldn't even give her that. Well, so it
1: was honestly better that you didn't get blasted with another round of ultrasound. Well, we were
0: blasted plenty, but,
1: (laughs) um, So this is around 10 weeks. You find out it's triplets.
0: So we moved on with this OBGYN in San Diego who was pretty old school. He had done vaginal births in the 70s of triplets and even quads. He had no um, qualms about supporting a triplet pregnancy and pursuing a vaginal birth. Um, and even would you know feel slick about the fact that he had done so many mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s, and so he said, you know, the only thing that we need to confirm is that 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 third baby has its own sac. You know, if they if the two babies are what we call Momo twins that share a sac and share a placenta, um, that can be a game changer for the birth. Mm-hmm. And so, long story short, they actually were Momo twins. Um, They did not have a barrier between them. Um, So that's in the, for multiples community, they call that a pair and a spare. So there was the identical twins and then there was the second baby or the third baby. Um, And the identical twins were two girls and then there was a boy. And we had a great pregnancy up until 19 weeks um we went in for a the anatomy scan actually the you know the routine scan just to check all their ins and outs and the two momo babies had passed
1: oh whoa
0: so that we had previously had a scan at 16 weeks and they were healthy and doing great and then at 19 weeks we found out that they were gone and that was a big deal that was big trauma for my brain and my heart. And I was carrying two dead babies. Mm. And at that point, knew a little bit about the consciousness of babies in the womb and felt really sad for the baby boy that his sisters that he was growing with were gone. Mm. And whatever interaction they had had from movement um, with each other was now still and how that affected him. and. Um, of course, the intended mother was also really upset. She had already bought three car seats and three cribs and the threes and the threes. And so um, that was a big deal. Um, I did very quickly, though, fall into peace about it because it no longer meant this sort of insane pregnancy and this insane birth and, you know, the insanity of her bringing three babies home and just the intensity of it all. Um, I just felt like, OK, you know, this little boy is strong and healthy and we're, we're going to get through this. Um, and have it a normal experience now. And right around that time, I, as a birth worker, took a training with Anna Verwall. And she's an expert in pre and perinatal psychology and really focuses on the experience of the baby and what their time in the womb um, means and how it shapes their brain and who they become. Um, and so I was uh, pregnant. And actually at the time I, I, the three babies were still viable as far as I knew at that that time. And so after taking that training and sort of learning the consciousness of a baby growing in this body that it only knows as its mother, I was this baby's mother and I had no idea. I just hit me like a ton of bricks that, oh my gosh, I'm his. And I don't feel like he's mine, but my body does. And cool. now I do, and yeah. it it was such a shocking piece of information. And then my second brain thought was, duh, like, duh, in all of, like, nature, like, duh, like, you can't grow a baby in your body without a soul connection. I mean, duh. And I remember having hamsters as a kid, and I touched the babies, that she had had some baby hamsters. And I touched them, and simply my intervention within her little mother-baby unit, um, she ended up eating the baby hamsters. And I was, you know, seven or eight years old and, like, saw this gory situation, but I always go back to that because that's nature, right? When you sort of disrupt nature or you intervene with nature or you try to do better than nature, there's always consequence.
1: Well, it's like growing up how, you know, you always are taught if a baby bird falls out of the nest, don't touch it because it'll right. screw up, the, the, it'll confuse the mother and she won't ta- take care of the baby anymore. And like we approach mother, baby and nature with so much reverence. Yeah. you know with so yeah. much um understanding that you shouldn't fuck with it and then here we are renting bodies and selling babies renting
0: bodies and and then I just it just the whole thing got bigger and bigger and bigger that this baby had a relationship with my husband that Mm -hmm. this baby had a relationship with my children that this baby knew the rhythms of my home and the sway of my hips and the sounds of our home and (sighs) the rumble of my car and all of those things were his and he was going to be taken away from all of that and That was the moment, right? I I sat in that training just with the weight of just guilt and shame and shock and just horror at what I was choosing to do. I was just the facilitator of trauma for this human. And how was that going to alter his brain? And it was just
1: the worst. So... Did you start to feel a noticeable connection with him once the lights were on? For sure. Yeah.
0: He then was mine and there was no getting around it. Right. Like he, he grew in me. Everything he ever knew was me. I was his like, duh. And so then that changed everything, right? Then I, how do I even relate to his mother? How do I relate to my husband and my children? And, and this is, you know, my children are his too. And it just was a total game changer. So right around that, you know, like I said, I, I, really kept everything very private. I did not post on social media. I didn't really discuss. I never posted any pictures or anything like that. I was not on the surrogacy groups sharing my journey on Facebook with anyone. Um, And I had actually specified in our contract that I I didn't want any sort of social media activity. I did not want to be named anywhere or any specifics of the, um, the journey. And I don't know really what that was about. I think partially... I didn't want recognition because I wanted it just to be a genuine um, giving um, or uh, anonymous giving, but I also must have intuitively felt shame. I didn't name it then, but I intuitively felt shame about what it was happening, but I couldn't call it that yet because I didn't know why I felt that yet. So. You know, and you always hear, you know, how could you give up your baby? And I just repeated that narrative of, it's not my baby. It's not my baby. And then, of course, you know, I I was his. He was mine. We were were each other. Um, Wow. And this was around
1: halfway through the pregnancy, mm -hmm. right?
0: And it was just right after that that the two babies were lost. And that, right after that training. And that's why... Um, I also had such a strong connection for his loss that he was, you know, not only that he was going to lose me, but he lost his two sisters.
1: So all he will have known by birth is essentially death.
0: Loss, just loss on loss. loss.
1: And so um, how, how did the, did you spawn, sorry, if this is a stupid question, but did you spontaneously pass the two? No. So that
0: was a tough search though. I tried to do a lot of research and I was unable to really get answers about that. Supposedly, sometimes the body will release Mm -hmm. some, but then any sort of, you know, uterine activity or cramping can cause issues for the viable pregnancy. And so in most cases, the body just sort of holds that loss. Um, and so that was also kind of a mind fuck that I knew yeah. that I could potentially have a normal birth, but that I would also be releasing these two baby girls oh and, my and God. seeing that. And, you know, and, and the, the, like such a dark, such a uh, contrast between right. his birth and how, you know, new life and then their birth and loss. And yeah.
1: They're not tiny. I mean, no, were, yeah, they For were, they were not weeks, you know, right? 19 weeks is, is not. Far enough that it's a yeah. fully formed baby. Exactly. Yeah, it's you know it's
0: already got all the things and a little face and all of that. So, wow. um, so that was pretty intense and um, so you sad. did and, pass them.
1: You did birth them. Uh, yes, at his birth. Yes. Okay. So
0: and I actually saw them, and that was you know also tough. Um, so how
1: so, how do you move forward with this woman?
0: Well, everything changed between us. I, you know, um, she and I initially had intention to sort of grow our relationship and stay in touch. And I think what happened, you know, she also has experienced loss. I think that her anxiety was at an all-time high. And and the dynamic shifted. It got very like where I wanted to be in charge of my body. She wanted to be in charge of my body, and we had this really sort of power struggle. And I was becoming very aware of um, ultrasound and how that would affect the the babies. And um, we started arguing kind of about that. Um, we argued quite a bit because, in spite of my insistence on not posting on social media, she did many times and would also post specifics about me and my family. And so. You know, oh. if you knew my community, it would be very easy to pinpoint who I was. Um, and so our relationship became very strained, both, me- you know, because of just the medical care that I was getting, um, and then the privacy that I was not getting. And the- I felt like it was a, a lack of respect in the relationship that I, she would just not honor what I was asking.
1: So was this on the heels of the losses or on the heels yes. of a conversation? Did you ever how did you navigate the piece of you realizing he was yours and, and, and you were his? Did you just keep that as quiet from her? Like, and then also I'm wondering, was there a point where you wanted to keep him in the pregnancy? So, uh, you know, I both talked to her about the baby's consciousness
0: and didn't. So I felt like I could give her enough information. I mean, I I accepted the fact that he wasn't ever going to be legally mine and I really had no choice there. You know, that was, what was I going to do? Take him and run away to another country. That was like my option, you know? And I don't know. I mean, maybe once as I grow in my sageness, maybe I would be down for that, you know, knowing what I know now, but, um, no, at the time, I really had this very pragmatic understanding of, like, the damage is done. And mm-hmm. and at this point, I can only give him better trauma, right? And so I did talk to her about his experience and the loss that he was going to be having. And so what we tried to do was lighten that trauma for him by creating a relationship between him and her. And um, that she would be at every visit and that we... Would, she would record her voice so that I could play her voice to him very often, you know, several times a day. Um, she recorded her voice to a book. She would send me text messages that were voice text, you know, any chance to be able for him to hear her voice so that, um, she would sing to him so that they could also, so that she was also familiar to him. Wow. Um, and, at the same time, also did some of those things from my voice on the other end to send home with him that I would have some sort of being in his new life, you know? And- we attempted, right, to like smooth that, you know, but ultimately he was not being swayed to my hips. Right. And so he, you know, I was gone. So toward the end of the pregnancy, as I grew in awareness of the baby's consciousness and um, our relationship was more strained, um, I, my distrust for her just got deeper and deeper. Um, and that also created quite a bit of sadness and guilt for me because I knew that he was inheriting that energetic connection with his intended mother, that if I'm carrying distrust for Mm. her and her soul, then he's carrying distrust because he, you know, he's in me. He is me. And so I really felt very panicky at that point about him going home with her and already having inherited that feeling. And I tried to let it go. I tried to pretend it wasn't there, but it was. And so I just felt, again, so much guilt and shame and sadness. And, um... Fast
1: forward to
0: about 38 weeks and we were.
1: And are you back with the midwives now or is it still with old dude and you're just going to have. No,
0: actually no. So we in a very roundabout way. We ended up with a perinatologist in San Diego who is, you know, he's okay. He's, he's better than most. Um, But once we knew that they were Momo twins, my OBGYN, the old school dude, he dropped us, you know, once it was sort of out of his hands, we switched to perinatology. Then once the babies passed... We were then eligible for a normal birth. So the perinatologist said, if you want, you can find an OBGYN. So I brought up, okay, let's go back and have this home birth. And at that point, the intended mother was adamant against it. She had had these two losses in the pregnancy. She was now off the normal birth train and pro all the things medical. It was a major shift in what she said she wanted for her baby or for her or for me to, now it was, okay, let's induce, let's schedule the C-section, let's, let's just do all the things, is get the baby in my arms. It was a panicky, get the baby in my arms, as most surrogacy arrangements are. And um, so 39 weeks, um, I had a high blood pressure read at the office, and I kind of blew it off, and my doctor kind of blew it off. And then, like, two days later, I had blindness in both eyes. And that was new and some, and I felt kind of dizzy and, um, I checked my blood pressure and again, it was super high and it was super high. And it just was, ch- I was checking it several times a day and it just was high. So we went in for a visit and my, my perinatologist actually said, you know, I'm not really even super worried about it, but let's just kind of scan the baby and see what's going on. And he was discovered to be breech in the breech position. And Now I'm stuck with a crossroads of, okay, no big deal for me, not a deal whatsoever. But now she's on the very medical intervention train. And now I have a perinatologist standing in front of me saying, well, your baby's breached, so now we have to have a cesarean.
1: Also, signs of preeclampsia does not equal do a fucking ultrasound. In ultrasound, (laughs) like- (laughs) Like it's right. all such a scam. I can't even handle it. Oh, if you sneeze crooked, it, they scan right. you, you and know, and the, the, manipulation. Right, the manipulation of being like, oh, I'm not even worried, but let's find something.
0: Let's just scan anyway, you know? Um, and so at that point, I really was sort of panicky and didn't know what to do because I knew exactly what road we were going down. I knew that they were going to either attempt um, an induction or schedule a cesarean. And at that point, my sort of secretive plan that I only told myself was just to birth him at home and then say, whoops, spontaneous labor happened quickly. So mm. I did think, okay, maybe if I do a little bit of body work and he goes head down, then the heat will be off and she'll stress less and the doctors will stress less. And then I can just have this like spontaneous labor. So I saw a, a midwife local to me who does private consultations for body work and, and like an attempt, attempted manual version. And um, we we just weren't successful with any of that. And all of the protocols that I was doing at home, I was seeing a chiropractor, I was seeing an acupuncturist. I was spending a ton of money and time and so stressed out. Hmm. And I literally just one day was like stop, stop the drama. Just let him be who he is. What is this? You even know that this is dumb. And I don't know if maybe the breech baby in me felt, you know, I was also breech, felt some sort of trying to fix my own anatomy. I don't even know. You know, it was all so deep. Um, And so I just called everything quits. Anyway, the perinatologist said, if you want, you can come in and we'll do an ECV. We'll turn the baby and let's see how that goes. So I went into, we scheduled an ECV with the perinatologist. I was on a pretty comfortable level with him. I texted him the night before and I said, you know, eat your Wheaties, bro, because we got to get this baby down and please leave your scalpel at home. And... We went in the next morning and I was so, 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 so stressed out. I had like anxiety to the max. My blood pressure was like through the roof. Um, The doctor scanned the baby again and told us that his neck was sort of flexed back. And so chin up. And if they were going to rotate him, they would have preferred chin down so that he didn't, you know, hyperflex his neck in the, in the rotation, um, Long story short, his, his presenting position, the inability to do the ECV, my consistent high blood pressure. um, He cleared the room, my, the perinatologist. And he said, you need to have a C-section. And first of all, I don't need to do anything. Right. But I really was so lost. I just was like, this is her baby. And this is my body. And I'm so confused and I don't know what to do. And I want to go rogue, but can I go rogue? And should I go? I just was so lost. And mm. I called my husband back in the room and I I just broke down. And I just said, I think I, I'm just going to, I'm going to have the surgery like, like right now. And I, it was like, mm a train was coming at me. I mean, all the panic and the manic of my first cesarean came back and even like, Oh my gosh, now I have to have an epidural place and all of the horrible thoughts and feelings and the things. And, you know, I had my little birth plan squared away of like dim the lights, play the music and whatever, but it's still such high trauma for my body and his body. And it was like, I, at that point I just, I just gave up. I just totally. gave up like the trauma's done it's done here we are cut him out let's let's fucking do it like let's do it. So luckily it was a quiet night at the hospital and um my husband my doula, the birth photographer the intended mother we were all allowed to be there which is very rare for an, an, a surgical birth for that many people to be in attendance um and so you know, that was for sure a full, you know, high trauma experience for me, um, walking into the cold room and all the, like, the lights and the sounds and all of the things, but I just sort of dissociated and just let it happen. And I remember them saying, I heard someone say, baby's out. And I didn't hear him cry or make a sound. And I said out loud, it's okay, baby. And he cried. And um, they brought him right to his mother. I didn't even see him. and um you know so he was put on her chest and all i could think in that moment is that he needs me and i need him and i just held my husband's hand probably tighter than i've ever held it because held it because it was rape for both of us
1: and i was i was choosing it and it was shocking and i couldn't even
0: I just had to dissociate. I just had to watch it from above. I couldn't there was I was numb physically and emotionally and so that's what happened and they did set aside the two babies that were passed. Um so I was able to see them. Um and I had a somewhat typical recovery, you know, terribly painful. Wait, physically,
1: you, you never got to see him.
0: So he came right away with me into recovery. So I did not see him in the OR. Um, they sort of, they all left the OR and they went to like what's called a recess room, which is basically where they did his newborn exam right away. Right. So he was on his mother for just like a minute or so. And then right away they started, you know, weighing and measuring and all of the things. And I knew that that was happening. And that was a moment of No, like at least keep him on a warm body. Like what, what? And I just, I had just total loss of control. Her plan, she had um, induced lactation and her plan was to nurse. And we did discuss me potentially nursing too and also continuing skin to skin with him. And so it was kind of a shared moment, but a piece of me went really back to the original motivation of this childless mother and that it was her, you know, her, excitement and her honor and her pleasure and her this and that. Um, but also mega conflicted because it was him. It was all about him for me. And I just knew that he was experiencing such intense trauma and loss and that he could even hear me and probably smell me and thinking, who the fuck is this? Oh. And even hear my husband and be like, bro, why aren't you holding you know all of these things? And so you know, her mother was there and her sister was there, and they were just kind of passing him around this new shiny toy. And I was just dying inside mm-hmm. that he was experiencing the loss of me. Um, so, after all kind of the hype calmed down, and the doula left, and the birth photographer left, and everyone left, um, her and I spent several hours in my postpartum room together um, with me holding him. Um, And him on my chest, of course, felt right, you know, like, okay, we're back, we're back to us, you know, like, he's safe, I'm safe, we're together. Um, And then the hospital offered where she could stay overnight at the hospital in her own room. And so him and her went into their own room um, for the night, and then came back in the morning into my room. And I was, you know, on drugs and so depressed and so sad, and just literally just wanted to die. And they came back in the morning and I held him for hours. And I think at that point she started to feel a little overwhelmed that like she had to take him home. And I think a piece of her felt like he wasn't hers and that he was mine. She made a couple of comments like that, that he doesn't feel like mine. He feels like yours. And I agreed. Um, and So she said, why don't I just leave the two of you alone? And so I just, you know, I held him for hours and cried and talked to him and apologized and um, just did whatever I could to just sort of soothe his soul for that few minutes and um, talk to him about what was going to happen, that he was going to leave me and that he was going to go home with her and that I'll always love him. And um, so will my children and so will my husband and that he's forever welcome in our family and whatever bullshit that I tried to say. And um, then it was time for the hospital basically told her, we don't have the room for you to stay tonight. So you can go home or you can bunk in with Brianna. And um, she decided to stay. And that was such a gift for us because I needed him and he needed me. And one night is nothing, but it was something.
1: Oh, like if she hadn't have stayed, she would have taken it home. She would have gone home
0: and she, she was nervous. She didn't feel ready. She really yeah. just was like, wait, this is, you know, because even in her own intuition, it feels abnormal to just be given a baby. You just buy a baby and then you just take it home. And so she wasn't ready to go. And she felt, must've felt this connection that he wasn't either. Right. And So they stayed that night and she, um, the mother, she was exhausted and overwhelmed and she slept all night and I, and I had him. So that was a gift for us that, you know, even though he, he was going to be going home with her, I think the exhaustion of all of the hype for her just put her into a deep sleep. And so I just held him and stayed awake all night long, staring at him and touching him and holding him. And apologizing over and over, I am so sorry for the hurt that I've caused you and your brain oh and your God. body, and I will always be with you. I'm always going to be yours And um, I knew how big of a deal this
1: was, and knowing like that else- we're fucking manufacturing this pain and trauma all over the world, and fucking birth workers are a hundred percent down, like all this industry is doing is so fucked up and painful and that this exact experience is being manufactured and reproduced in women around the world
0: and sugar-coated as this beautiful thing and it's so far the opposite and I look back and feel like, okay, I was supposed to go through this because I'm that voice that says, no, no guys, it's not beautiful. It's actual horrendous trauma for this little brain that's developing and the adrenaline and loss that he's experiencing is going to make him a depressed and anxious human.
1: But if a baby in this society in this technocratic model is just this product is just objectified like you said as this shiny little toy with no ounce of reverence or understanding about the primal wound and all of this stuff i mean if it's just you know the way we've commodified babies to the rich (laughs) you know is that they can just buy them like a fucking louis vuitton bag you know there's no um Ethical parameters to this, whatsoever. No,
0: no, and it's you know, I mean, I think really that's how it is in all of technology and all of modern medicine, everything from um, you know, psychology to med- medicine, or every everything is that way. There's no reverence for human soul, yeah. whatsoever, including in death, right? Like, there's no reverence for the human soul, and, and so then we you are add just that blind. they're
1: babies, right? Like, where circumcision often doesn't even have local anesthetic, you know, analgesic, like, like there's, there's a whole nother layer specifically about babies that they're, um, yeah, that they're just like nothing.
0: Right. So, you know, moving forward away from that, um, I feel like I was supposed to experience it so that I could have a voice about it and share my story. The, you know, the struggle is that it's it's hardly ever re- well received because people are so brainwashed to think that this is such a beautiful or, or totally normal thing. There's no reverence whatsoever for how my body interpreted the experience, my brain, my heart, and most importantly, him, and that he will always, um, you know, carry that energy of loss. And so when I talk about my own energetic patterns, bringing trauma, that's my comfort level is to create trauma for myself. Hmm. He may now create loss because that's what he's known. And so he will bond with people and then leave them because that's what he knows and has always known. And so he's going to have his own journey to walk now. And I'm sorry for that. Wow. Um, a few weeks after his birth, we kept in touch. I was recovering. I wanted to come visit. And, um, she told me no, and that I wasn't ever welcome to, to contact her ever again. And, um, we've never talked since.
1: Oh my God. And of course I struggle with that. And I
0: feel like such a piece of shit about it because I feel like he and I need that relationship. Um, but it kind of came out of nowhere that um, I was disposable, right? She got what she needed. Totally. and then Well, I now was... you're,
1: now you're a threat, right? Because yeah. you are the true mother. And so, of course, once they found their rhythm, like, y- y- of course you couldn't be a part of that.
0: There was one moment where he was a few days old and he was inconsolable. And she texted me and she said can you please sing for him on a message so that he can hear you? I think he needs you. And I couldn't, and I feel like such a coward about it. I couldn't, I like couldn't even pull it together because I just wallowed in just the worst wailing of my life knowing that she was right and that he needed me. And it took me probably, you know, several hours to kind of pull it together. And then I sang for him and sent it. Um, And she said he soothed and I,
1: I mean, My God. God. That's so.
0: Sick. But shortly after that, she said, "We're moving on with our lives. We don't care to have a relationship with you. Please don't ever contact me." And I said, "Okay, but please know that I love him, and I always will. And I'm, you know, I would love a relationship with him."
1: What were you compensated? Um.
0: All in all, it was about sixty thousand dollars. Um, I did go on bed rest. I did carry three babies. I, and even though they passed, that was still included, um, because they were still in my body. And I had a cesarean, so. You hit all um, the benchmarks. Mm-hmm, I had the supreme package of surrogacy. You know, you here we're going to give you about a year's salary to spend, you know, the rest of your life recovering from this experience and never recovering from this. So mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be worth a hundred million dollars. You know, there's nothing that can ever make this worth it, but I feel that, because I went through it, I can speak to it, and I know it. And um, as a birth worker, have also taken you know all these trainings from neuroscientists. And I don't know if you're familiar with APA, the Association of Pre and Perinatal oh, yeah. um, Psychology, and I've gone to a lot of their conferences where they talk very specifically about surrogacy and adoption and the loss of uh, that these babies experience and how their brain chemistry changes and, you know, on a scientific level. So you can talk intuition, but this is the real science yeah, yeah, behind it. for sure. And it's fascinating. And so, you know, just the more that I learn and the more I share, um, it's all just so obvious mm-hmm. how wrong surrogacy is for all involved. Um, and we didn't and even really didn't... touch on trauma of the intended parent but that's also, you know, so anxiety ridden for them. And I think it's
1: important to make that distinction between supposed to have gone through this trauma versus because you did, you've learned and had a voice. You had the realization and the awakening inside of this experience. But I think that that's different than chalking up this supposed to right and what mm-hmm. what i see so many women doing so beautifully so powerfully just like yourself is taking taking tra- a, tra- a traumatic experience and transmuting it into purpose Right, absolutely. It's my no. brain saying,
0: "Well, gotta rationalize it somehow." Right, so but let's I call it as supposed to. Right, right. And that. I
1: always like to point it out when I hear people say it because that implies some level of destiny, providence, or, uh, or more importantly, um, you know where can't we apply that? Like no one's supposed to be raped. No one's supposed to be abused, but that doesn't mean I don't know a lot of women who have turned their, you know, trauma from being raped into, um, teaching, you know, women powerful things or, you know, you know what I mean? Like transmuting it. I was in an abusive relationship. I would never say I was supposed to have been in it, but because I was, um, Yeah, I have learned a lot about myself, and anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to kind of, yeah, language really matters.
0: And coming from a place of good girl, it's very hard to restructure my narrative and just fall right into the justification or the explanation of it. Like, well, yeah,
1: you know, supposed to, but I guess I deserved it, but no, right? You are reframing your narrative, you literally are. I mean, there is so much deep deep wisdom in what you've shared and and humility and vulnerability and i know for a fact that there will be women who think they want to be surrogates and they will hear this episode and they will not do it i know it's
0: already happened you know in a lot of birth workers in my community that you know are attracted to birth they they have an interest in surrogacy and hear my story and then go yeah never mind wow i never even thought that or had Mm -hmm. a clue so no I would never do that now that I know so um yeah I mean big ass story right
1: it's so painful
0: it's the painfulest it sucks
1: it sucks and the um you know the part that always is interesting to me is is this like aftermath like I'm sure you know this that um surrogate mothers have a very, very high rate of regret. They have a very high rate of depression and the, the, you know, some of the body of, of work that I've read around it, you know, all kind of say the same thing, which is there's nowhere for these surrogate mothers to put it because the whole community around them has rallied them into sainthood, you know, for giving this gift, um, and everyone is holding, you know, in patriarchy, this, this selfless, you know, woman to give the gift of, of, a, of a child, you know, the, her, her child, it's not a child to give the gift of her child, to give the gift of your child as the most epically, uh, selfless, beautiful, saintly thing that one can do. And so there's no, there's nowhere to put these no. deep feelings mm-hmm. of regret depression pain um and I've read that repeatedly from and I'm hearing that in your in your story as well it's it's so it, I yeah, am lucky to have a, a couple layers.
0: of really strong friends or you know that are in birth work that understand the consciousness of a baby and sort of how deeply birth matters and so I do have a you know a couple a handful of people that get it and can look yeah. me right in the eye and be like yeah you did fuck up like it's you mm. know instead of saying well it's okay and you know and, and they literally are sitting right in the ugly with me mm. um and thank god for that because I, I yeah. needed someone to say yeah it it is it sucks yeah. But that's not yeah. typical for the average surrogate. Right. Like, they well, don't have that at
1: all. That's kind of my last remaining thought, I guess, that I want to I want to say with you is it really baffles my mind, but it is like, you don't know till you know, right? Like I, for many years, thought that surrogacy uh, was fine. Like I never, and really what it was is that I never really thought about it. Mm-hmm. And so once I did, and really that's thanks to Yolanda who, who really opened this up for me a couple years ago, maybe about three years ago, really spelled it out for me very quickly, very easily. And it was, it was that epiphany moment of, Oh my God, like, Oh my God, I, this is, this is completely upside down now for me. And so Mm -hmm. it is one of those things that I want to, I want to hold some space or compassion, I guess, for the women who aren't yet there, Because we're not until we are. And at the same time, how the fuck can a birth worker who loves birth and women and has an understanding of mother baby rally behind something so, so deeply anti mother baby? You know, and so I'm so grateful that you're sharing this story and, and, It's so important because so many birth workers really lift up surrogacy and intensely defend it. Um, And they're wrong. They're wrong Mm -hmm. to defend it. And Mm -hmm. they don't understand mother baby. And I am, when
0: you focus on the baby, all of your choices change in both your prenatal care, in birth, in surrogacy, in fertility treatments,
1: in nutrition, but in but, but even bigger, mother baby, like one word, like For you sure. and him, you know, sure. and not separating them, right? Like obviously mother baby is not a word in our culture and yet it is very much a reality and- how quickly we do everything we possibly can in our culture to separate mother from baby and surrogacy really is fundamentally the the highest example of separating those two words, right? Separating mother baby to the point where you hardly existed, you know, beyond an incubator. And and I guess I just, you know, we've cried together on this episode. And and I want to say I'm really sorry you had you you learned this way. I am really sorry truly from the bottom of my heart that this is something that you walk with and my heart is so broken for you and this Thank story you. and for all for all babies being born to surrogates and oh, yeah. Yep. So some cute. shit. <laughs> that will be the name of this episode. It some sorry. It's some shit. Surrogates. It's some shit. Some shit. Ugh. Oh. Well, I do appreciate your your transparency and and like I said, your wisdom and self reflection around this because it is so important, and you do have a unique voice to this that obviously I don't have. Um, so yeah, thank you for being being on here. Thank
0: you for listening. Do
1: you have anything else you want to say or share before?
0: No, I think that's pretty much it. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. Thank Surrogacy, you. don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening. Oh. Don't buy babies. Don't sell your babies. Fuck. For fuck's sake. Yeah. The worst. Oh, all right, girlfriend. Thank you so okay. much. Thanks for
0: chatting. Looking forward to hearing it.
1: That's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.